This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts Podcast with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, he has played incredible roles on television and film, but his true dream, to be on SNL. Welcome Noah Emmerich. Hey, everybody, I am here today with Noah Emmerich. And Noah is a prolific actor who moves effortlessly between theater, film, and television. He has done so many films, but some of the titles include Beautiful Girls, The Truman Show, Life and Frequency, Last Action Hero, Julie Johnson, Beyond Borders, Little Children, Pride and Glory, Super 8, and Jane Got a Gun. On stage, he starred in A Streetcar Named Desire, Fault Lines, and The Qualms. Although he has appeared on television often, including an arc on The Walking Dead, in 2013 he was cast as FBI agent Stan Beeman on the critically acclaimed and award-winning FX series The Americans, which Noah has also begun directing. So it is my pleasure to have Mr. Noah Emmerich on the podcast today. Welcome, Noah. Thanks so much. Nice to be here. It is thrilling to have you. So much to catch up on. Because what we're going to do today, we're going to start uh, from the moment you were born okay. <laughs> until <Okay>. today. <laughs> so I, do you have some time? I have some time. I have to make one quick call Does to cancel my appointment tomorrow. <laughs> no. So you are having the pleasure of being on an incredibly successful hit show, which shoots in New York City. Yeah. It's just incredible uh, to be able to be at home. I mean, for most of my career, working has meant leaving home for right. at least some temporary way for a few months or even longer. And the idea of doing a television series, which I have never done before, you know, committed to that long a contract. In fact, I, it was sort of in my mind a prerequisite. I thought I could do this, but it has to be in New York. I don't want to end up in North Carolina or Vancouver or wherever the winds may blow you. I really wanted to have a home base and live at home, which has never been choice in a weird way for an actor. You're sort of always at the mercy of wherever production is. Of course. And I sort of put it out in the universe. I said to my guys, you know, I would love to do a series, but if it could be in New York, that would really would really be great. And I sometimes it was sort of a lesson in sort of asking for what you want from the universe because I didn't used to do that. I didn't used to sort of imagine what I wanted and then try and manifest it. But in this, in this instance, it really was sort of like that. I said, I want a series that shoots in New York, and I don't want to, I, I'm not really interested in doing it anywhere else. 
And this came along like within, you know, a matter of months after having expressed that to my team. So that's all I have to do? Yeah. Here, I, here I've been like you actually have taking to ask. acting class. and <laughs> You actually have to ask for what you want. It's yeah. a really, I mean, it took me, you know, many, too many years to realize that, but it helps to really identify what you want. That's but, incredible. But, yeah. And what incredible luck to be this show and yeah. to really have found a character that seems so seamless. Yeah, it's really an, it's been an incredible opportunity and an incredible family. And, you know, a lot of that is a roll of the dice, as you know, you know, when you commit to a series. Well, did you also uh, say, and I wanted to be with, like, Harry Russell. The best Russell. people <laughs> in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Where is Matt from? He's, he's, he's Welsh. He's Welsh. I heard uh, him say on an interview that in some ways, and this may not be true now that it's years into the series, but in some ways his fascination or worry about the accent makes him feel like he's delivering 50% of this character because his attention is so much on oh, really? am I sounding like an American. Right. And I thought, wow, if this is 50%, right. well, we're he's, good. He, <laughs> <laughs> we're good. Then I really don't like him anymore. I don't, if that's I, 50%. Exactly. So let's talk about it. You grew up in New York. I did. And your background is really fascinating to me because your father was a German who escaped Frankfurt? Where was yeah. he in Germany? He was born Germany? in Frankfurt. And then they fled Germany and went to Amsterdam. They were able to get out before the Nazis invaded? Yeah. Or? Yeah. They were, I mean, before the Nazis took over, took power. Uh, right. And then they went to Amsterdam and they were just, again, a few steps ahead of the Nazis. Do you remember what to, year this was? When uh, they... My father came to America in 1940. How old was he when he arrived here? He was here? 16. Yeah. Wow. In fact, my, my aunt, my father's sister, was a classmate of Anne Frank's. They went to school together in Amsterdam. And mercifully, my grandfather was very intelligent and saw the way the winds were blowing and was always working to be uh, enough steps ahead of the, of the movement to get out. What did your grandfather do in Germany before they he, left? He was a lawyer. When they left, were they able to leave with their stuff? Do you know no, the story was, of their it, leaving? Yeah, t- t- some of it I know. I don't know it as well as I should because right. my father didn't really love to talk about it as I'm much. Sure. Um, you know, my grandfather actually had to send my grandmother and my father and my aunt ahead of him. He couldn't get a he couldn't get a visa as timely a way as they could, and he actually got stuck in um, South America. They came on a boat via South America. They arrived here, you know, without speaking English, without any resources. And, you know, in a classic immigrant fashion, they came here with just, you know, the things on their backs. But clearly, my grandfather had was a lawyer in Germany, and then he went to Holland and went back to law school to become a lawyer in Amsterdam. He must have spoke many languages. And then he went back to well. law school when he came to New York and he went to law school for the third time to become an American lawyer. And then he was very involved in reparations law, international law, post-World War II. He went back to Europe and was involved in that. So he was a very intelligent, sophisticated, ambitious, you know, hardworking man. And your mom, Uh, was she American-born? My mom's American-born, yeah. So then your father went on to become a very successful art dealer. Yeah, with a gallery uh, in New York and in Zurich. I liked going to the gallery, and, and I used to spend my summers with my father traveling to the different art fairs. I know David Hockney is one of the artists mm. that your father represented. Did you ever meet any of the artists of that time? Oh, yeah, all of them. David Hockney lived out in, in L.A., so I would go with my dad, That's and we'd go wild. to his studio. and you know, it was Or downtown in Soho, which used to be, Soho used to be really just sort of a lot of artists, giant industrial lofts. It right. was sort of an abandoned. It was, I mean, I remember going there as a little kid. I said to my father... 
Are we still in New York? It was such a foreign landscape. It, uh, it's unrecognizable today now, you know, obviously. Do you collect art? My, my eye is, is more expensive than my, than my wallet can afford. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yes. So I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm really an active collector, but I do have some inherited pieces. I have some pieces that I have bought over the years, and I enjoy it thoroughly, but I don't. I'm not really, I couldn't say I'm an active collector. So when did you go from helping out in the gallery and going downtown to kind of finding your way into acting? I did think about going into the gallery business and it was something that was clearly possible. But then I decided I really wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a constitutional lawyer. That was sort of an, I I heard a, a man named Floyd Abrams, who's a constitutional lawyer, speak. And he really inspired me and We could moved use me. you now, Noah. Is yeah, it too late? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's too late. We're in trouble and we need you. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I still am an avid fan, weirdly, of sort of constitutional law and lawyers and the, and the issues at hand. I mean, that is sort of the heart and, of our society and mm-hmm. our government and our culture. So I ended up going to college and I, was, I ended up studying law quite heavily as an undergraduate and I was a musician as a kid I played the trumpet my mother's a concert pianist so I I was very heavily involved in music when you say concert pianist would she travel yeah and still plays Um, I mean she had a concert in the fall here in New York that's Uh, incredible yeah I had an incredible childhood surrounded by music and art the house that I grew up in uh, was actually in fact where the group rehearsed so I would often come home from school and there'd be, you know, a chamber concert happening, you know, around the clock in my living room. So it was, and I would sit and do homework to the, to the music and I was a player myself. So I, I went to classical music camps in the summers and played in, you know, orchestras and ensembles and. You uh, have so many talents. It's ridiculous. I was talented as a kid. I, I never, I, w- I wasn't talented enough to really go full no. professional. I thought I might. I mean, mm-hmm. I was definitely interested in, in, in the possibility. But to jump back to where I was when I began acting was, right. uh, uh, was I was law graduating from college. and Where did you go to college? I went to Yale. And a friend of mine, I had all these friends. I had friends who were involved in the theater, but I wasn't involved myself. Josh Molina was Josh a, Molina. a college roommate? Yeah, he was my college okay. roommate. In fact, he was one, he's about to enter the story because we were enter living together Josh at the time. Molina. Enter stage left. Yes. Uh, Funniest man <laughs> On the planet. I mean, I lived with Josh. We were we were in a singing group together, an acapella singing group so together sing, in college. So if you're in an acapella group at Yale, you're a really good singer. No, or you're funny, or you can do. A, I was a bass, so it was mostly tum 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 tum. You know, just doing that. But we did tour, and we you know we spent our spring breaks on tour. Went to Texas or Florida or wherever, and that's we had, a big we had, deal. It was a, so much fun. Yeah. Uh, and Josh and I were best of friends. Uh, Wait, what was the name of the singing group? It's called the Spizwinks. <laughs> What? Which is a tip, my, very embarrassing, you know. My in, brother-in-law and my nephew were Beelzebubs. Oh, really? Tops. Like, there's just the, I don't understand the crazy. The Spizwinks were actually <laughs> mythological blight farm animal that ruined the crop of 1913 in Idaho. So they named it after this mysterious animal, the Spizwink. And that was the year that the group was founded at Yale. So they took on the name of, uh, you know, uh, it's some Ivy with the ladies, silly. like when you'd be like, "Hey, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a spiz- with with that." With oh that yeah, that really... was just a complete aphrodisiac. <laughs> <laughs> really? Can I bring my friend? And it's spelt with Gail a question mark. Too? It's actually spizwink. Spizwink. Hmm. It's the, the name includes the question mark right. at the end of the word because it is so confusing. Do you think uh, if the Americans was called like the Americans question mark, it would have the same? The Americans? <laughs> <laughs> Are they? Can't tell. Um, uh, that, that actually would be appropriate. The American? Shish. Russians? Anyway. <laughs> anyway, 
because None I was in this. The, because I was in the singing group, and yes. the friend of ours was directing the commencement show, which was Anything Goes. Uh, they That's asked me to show. be in it because I was a bass, and there weren't a lot of basses. And, and Josh was like, "You should do it. It'd be so much fun." I said, "I can't. I'm not an actor. I can, I'm not doing a musical. Like I can. I, I can't dance. I can't talk." But you can do Cole Porter. <laughs> Loved Cole Porter. Of yeah, course. of course. So, long story short, I did this commencement show, this musical. I was in the chorus. I played the captain. He just went, tomb, 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 tomb. You know, that whatever. That served you so well. <laughs> yeah, the fact that I can do that has really brought me my entire career. Did you do that at the audition for Stan? You know, I'm a terrible auditioner. I was so, I'm such a nervous auditioner. I mean, I used to be. I've gotten better at it, but. Did you audition uh, for the Americans? I did. I did a read like, you know, whatever they call a chemistry read. With with Carrie and Matt, Matt was doing the, the same the same day. He was doing the chemistry read with Carrie. There was the three of us there. And let's and just say, clearly, they have chemistry. Clearly. As it turns <laughs> they out. They do. <laughs> Quite combustive. <laughs> you know, I did this audition, uh, whatever you call it, audition. I mean, it's yes. a polite term, it's chemistry, but it's really just an audition right. where you make a tape. They were filming it so that the uh, network brass in California could look at it. Which is actually the kinder version. Sometimes you have to go into a room with all the people there no, watching you. This is sort of to private see them. with the director and the cast and just making this little chemistry read. And I did it, and a couple of the executives were there, and there everyone was like, "This is great, you know, it's formality. Welcome to the show. This is so great. We can't wait to start." And then oh they gosh. called me up the next day, and they said, "So we have a little bit of an issue, which is that the sound didn't record on your tape. So can you come back and do it again?" That's like, I mean, I've never had a call like that in my entire career that you do an audition, that it goes so well, that everyone says, great, you got it, just make it for them, you know, send it to L.A. And then they call back and say, you know what, we forgot to press record <laughs> on the audio track. So I went back and they recorded. In fact, when I, when I went back, I, I, I played a little prank, which was when I started doing it, I went, it won't work on radio, but I was like. Okay, just for <laughs> listeners, he's moving his mouth and not making sound. So I did the whole first scene like that. <laughs> I think that's what got me the job. That's hilarious. Uh, Have you had to audition again for anything in any form oh, yeah. since the show? All the time. You I do? Mean, I, I, mean, I mean, it depends. Yeah. I don't think auditioning ever stops. If you're interested in stretching beyond how you're already perceived. I mean, it's easier to not audition for the roles that you've already played. But if yeah. I want to do something, a comedic or, a, you know, a, a character that they haven't seen me play before. Right. And I say, well, how can he do that? We need to see it. And I understand that. But other than that, I mean, I have no problem. I understand auditioning completely. It's a mistake to take it as a reflection of people's respect for you or their embrace of you or their belief in you even. As a director myself, if I wanted to cast you far from anything I'd ever seen you do before, right. I would just be curious to see how you fit in just for both of our sakes. Well, why can't it just be enough that I say I can? <laughs> you have to own your own process and not not have it be vulnerable to other people's process. As weird as that sounds, you know. So the truth is, yes, you, I've had many auditions where I go into the room and the person is barely, doesn't even look at you. They're reading or their Woody mail. Woody Allen, literally. Have you ever read for him? I have read for Woody Allen once. He's quite often under the table. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Or like kind of his back half right. turned to you right. and you're like, can he's, he see he's me? Very awkward. I'm sorry, is he? And yeah. it's so painful that you do actually just yeah. want to take care of him and be like, yeah. you know what, Let's don't worry about this. How can I help? How can I help right. you? I have to say, I've done some casting on the Americans Under and the table. it is excruciating. Knowing the state of mind of yes. the actors coming in, I find it excruciatingly hard to 
be on the other side of the table. I don't want to be in that seat. Like I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm, right. I'm an actor. Like I know, I, I, and and yet you do only have forty five minutes to see twelve people. So have you, you watched anyone just completely bomb like no. unravel? <laughs> There's been some close calls. The idea is you want them to be re- everyone. It's 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 the paradox of auditioning. Is like the best work comes from a relaxed, playful, free spirit. Right. And you know that doesn't happen when you have. F- a minute and 15 seconds to show them your stuff. And there's five people sitting behind a desk and you're on. It's just the most awkward, awful circumstance. How do you work? And obviously it's different in different mediums. Right. I mean, television is so fast. It's like right. I work by hoping I know my lines. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's like, a lot of prayer. And just knowing and hoping the <laughs> yeah. editor likes me. It really has been different on the American say than other projects because it is so fast mm. and you don't. you have so little time with the material relative to what I was used to. So the first season, I worked very differently than I did say the, this this season. It's like a muscle like anything else. The more you use it, the more so confident great. you get in it. So the learning the lines is not the big worry. I mean, it is sometimes. depends upon the writing, you know. But I imagine have, they're writing in your voice now. I mean, now the yeah, writers and, and know you, you. And you know and the characters. More... Obviously, you, you don't have to find the character in the same way. So you have a really – so so much of that homework, so much of the mining – the, the the really difficult, time-consuming work of figuring out who you are mm-hmm. has been done to a large degree. You know, hopefully it's still evolving and growing, but you've done the bulk of it and you do own that and you have that with you. So it makes makes the job significantly easier and able to adapt to the time pressure and to the speed of it all. I did a movie on the break called Wild Wedding yes. that Damien Harris okay. wrote and directed. And it's with John Malkovich and Glenn Close and Minnie Driver, a bunch of great people. It's this big family. John Malkovich and Glenn Close actually play my parents. It's a long story short, which was the readjust to the pace of mm-hmm. a feature after having done The Americans all year was, you know, really interesting because I started out The Americans thinking, oh, this is too fast. I can't get my work done. This is like sketching. I want to do oil painting. I want to do deeper. But the right. truth is that's not true. I mean, it is true, the speed, but I, the, all of a sudden the, doing the film felt excruciatingly slow. There's different muscles, there's different challenges, and I really do enjoy both. And as soon as I got acclimated to it again, I really enjoyed the, the pace of a film. I mean, obviously a film can be just as fast as a show. It depends of on the course. budget and the scope. And The Americans is a serious drama, but is there fun to be had at work? A lot of fun. We really do have a great group of people. I mean, everyone sort of says that, but I mean, our You really crew, mean it. We really do. I mean, the cast, there's not a bad egg in the cast. We have no real issues or problems ever on set from any department, from any from any division. And it's you feel really like hum- if I had other cast members on the show and asked them about you, they would agree. No. <laughs> They would say the one problem would be Emmerich. one diva. Do you have any <laughs> oh. diva in no, you? There's no. Oh, no. I have tons of divas. Do in you? Me. Yes. What are the things that kind of they go? Oof, Noah's coming. Make sure nothing. I don't. I don't. I don't think I let much of the diva out. I try to control it, but there are. I do. I like Josh Molina would tell you that I'm crazy, probably. Crazy neurotic um, or like crazy insane. <laughs> <laughs> maybe both. Um, A little bit of know, genius look, has to the, have. The that. thing is, you're. 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 It's tense. You know, you're anxious and you're nervous. I am, at least. I'm nervous and I'm I'm focused and I really want everything around to facilitate freedom and focus. And it's very sensitive. Just even the way the PA meets you in the morning, you know, it's mm. like, hey, you know, we got to go. It's like all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm a mess now. Right. I, don't, I need to feel like so much of it. I learned this as a director, too. So much of what you do is just lie. 
because the director is always under incredible pressure. Right. The clock is always tight. There's, I, I, in fact, when I first directed last season, I directed an episode. I was sort of, I had such a newfound respect and appreciation for, for the facade that directors are able to put on, which is like, "Good morning, how's it going?" Yes. Like, how do you? You don't even have time in the back of your mind. You're already an hour behind, and you just started the day. But that's critical to the actor to feel like the worst thing an actor can feel is pressured for time because mm-hmm. then you want to get it right. And if you're trying to get it right, you're, you you're dead. You're and, dead in yeah. the water, you know. So you need to feel infinity. You need to feel like take. we're going to be here until you get it right. Like you need to feel that permission, that Or comfort. five minutes. Yeah. Or five. <laughs> yeah. Or one more take. What's so amazing about your show it reminds me of The Sopranos a little bit in that I, I remember when I first met the character of Tony Soprano. Right. The idea that there's someone doing these horrible things that you cared so much about. The first time I'd kind of seen something right. like that. Right. Like, he's a really bad guy, and now I'm seeing him in therapy. Right. I'm like, he's not such a big... He's working out stuff with his mother. <laughs> right. That's all. Right. right. Yeah. Well, the, sense. A lot of people talk about that as one of the beginning of the anti-hero, you know, moment Which had been television. in literature, but not so much yeah. in, on television on the small screen and and it is I mean the Americans is sort of the ultimate that because our our protagonist our lead characters whatever they're even doing before we even know what they're doing we know that they're working to fight against America so they're literally as anti-heroes you can get they're the enemy you know the fact that this historical gives us the perspective and the opportunity to look at these people as human beings and about their circumstances as being universally relatable and I think that's one of the most sort of, to me, inspiring and moving things about the show is that it really does encourage us to see everyone else around us as human beings first, whatever the mask they're wearing, whatever the role, whatever the, the, the happenstance of where they were born and how they were culturally raised, that there is this connectivity of their humanity that we that we don't even think of Philip and Elizabeth as the enemy. We think of them as this couple that's struggling with their children, with each other, that we really are rooting for to succeed, not in their political mission to bring that no one wants them to win against the United States right, but or we want continue them to, to win murder their, people right, along right, the way right but we want them to right. find love and contentment and family which is i think you know one of the great elements of the show somehow do you know how it ends yeah they stop filming does <laughs> <laughs> Stan and Elizabeth finally get together I've been pushing that storyline for 2 years i mean <laughs> what made you decide to start directing at this point you know, I've always wanted to direct. Uh, I spent some time at NYU Film School as a director. Of course, I, you I, did. <laughs> I, uh, I thought I would transition into directing long ago. But your acting career just very took hard. Off. I mean, it's just very hard to push that boulder up the mountain. And when just enough acting jobs came along, where it's like, hey, put the boulder down, come play with us. You can right. be, you can be a kid. They and we'll take, back every we'll take time. care of everything. You know, so uh, actually that was one of the things that I was interested in about doing a series because clearly it's happened in the past. You know, Mm -hmm. it affords the possibility that, you know, you can sort of shadow and learn and train. So what was that like directing suddenly your co-stars? They were very supportive and very warm and very very helpful. So are you going to pursue features? Do you have a sense of what's next? I would love to, yeah. I'm going to be doing an episode of Billions this summer, which is on Showtime Uh with a great show. Before we go, do you have a specific audition story that haunts you to this day? All my first auditions, the first two years of my career were backstage, open cast. I couldn't get an agent. <laughs> you said open casket, but you did. <laughs> it was basically open <laughs> casket. Uh, come take a look. Uh, but my first audition ever in my life, you know, uh, other than my first professional audition. Was other than for, anything goes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes. Which you got for, the part. was for Biloxi Blues. 
in the Shawnee Playhouse in Summerstock. And I was so nervous. And this hasn't happened to me since, but I was so nervous that my knees were literally knocking. Like my legs were shaking so hard. Shaking. I can't even recreate this as an actor. I don't know how it's possible that it happened, but I know that it happened. My knees were banging into each other because my leg, like, I could not, like, I could, I would like, look like a man He's standing on shakes. two straps of spaghetti. Like, I looked like something was seriously wrong. Oh my God. Um, and I, so I was sorry. so terrified, but I got the job. <laughs> Wait, so I you're like, if I job. could only do, wait, yeah. ha, now I, I, how, I, well, wow, the, they really, yeah. <laughs> they were scraping the bottom of the bed. <laughs> like, well, that was a really fascinating choice <laughs> to play him as <laughs> someone with really early onset Parkinson's That's, or something. They were like, do that, can you do that again? 20, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. All right, so lesson learned. Don't ever stop yourself. Keep going. Even if your knees are knocking, my face was bright red. My knees were knocking. I was sweating. The other one, one time I went into audition for a, a, a movie that I really wanted with a director that I thought was like, you know, incredibly exciting to get a chance to work with. And I walked into the room and it was him and the casting director and he spent the entire time opening his mail. <laughs> and I, I actually stopped in the middle of the scene and I said, are you, do you want me to wait? And he said, what? And I said, do you, you want me to wait? And he said, what? finish the scene. Okay. And he was just literally opening his mail the entire time, never looking at me. If you tell me you got that part too, I did not get okay. that part. <laughs> and that I did director not. It was Oliver Stone. It would be Oliver Stone. Yeah. Was it yeah. really Oliver Stone? It was really Stone? Oliver Stone, yeah. I don't think he, I can only say that because he doesn't know what I look like because he never saw me. He was reading the mail the whole time. Right. And what we'll do is we'll just, the only part of this uh, podcast we'll play is this story. So we'll never say your name. <laughs> right. He won't know who yeah. you are or anything about it. Well, it's so amazing to have you here today. This is just an exciting time for oh. all of us to get to watch you explode in this character. It's thrilling. Oh, it's thanks. totally thrilling. It's this incredible show. And I'm so happy that I got to have this time with you today. Thanks for inviting me. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So there you go. These are little known facts that now you know. Hey, I'm Alana Levine. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to rate and review our show in the iTunes show page. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.